Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. As fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of film based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we will put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready? And begin. Episode 51, we're over the hump. Yes, and school Hunters is on back the in session. Yeah. So uh, we're back in the classroom, uh, starting off our 2017 to 2018 school year. So uh, we are looking today at two films by the same director, Osgood Perkins. And so I, I suppose we shall get into it. Yeah, let's do it. So okay. production, looking to make sure that the film... Is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. And we're going to start with I Am the Pretty Little Thing. Unless we're going to go chronologically. Or I'm sorry. We're going to start with The Black Coat's Daughter. Yes. And it's actually kind of confusing because I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House is, it was released first, but The Black Coat's Daughter was his, made first. Yeah. His first movie. Directorial debut. So... We, we are going to talk about um, The Black Coat's Daughter first. Um, that was uh, made in uh, 2015, written and directed by Osgood Perkins, starring Kiernan Shipka as Kat, Emma Roberts as Joan, and Lucy Boynton as Rose. Okay. So, uh, with production. Um, I, I feel like, uh, a, like a hallmark of... Oz Perkins style is the slow motion. <laughs> yeah. So much slow motion. And I would say the overall pacing of the story uh, for, for better or worse is yeah. slow. It's a slow retelling. Like he takes his time, mm-hmm. which I think allows him to build character and tension uh, and, and tension act, and mood. Yeah. I think both pieces have very strong mood. Yeah. Even though, uh, and we'll get to it with, I'm, I'm just going to call it. I am the pretty thing. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I, like, I walk away from I don't remember much about the story, but it's like I walk away remembering a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, exactly. I would say I remember more of the story in Black Coat's Daughter, uh, but it also you walk away with a distinct feeling that mm-hmm. is the memory of that movie. Right, right. Um, I like how both of his movies, they kind of take on these classic horror movie stories like in the black coat's daughter this ultimately becomes an exorcism story like a possession story right we have an exorcism but it's like so minor to the movie yeah it's it's not really about the exorcism until the end right the exorcism is not the climax yeah and so um and i would say with pretty thing um that is, you know, a ghost story. Um, but both are just approached in, in very different ways. I think I think Osgood Perkins has a, a very distinct voice after after seeing two, these two movies. Mm-hmm. I think we could say that. I would almost call this like a coming-of-age story with an exorcism in it. Hmm. <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> now, she... I don't think she ends up in a good place. She doesn't become right. better. It becomes worse in the end, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I, I think 
this story is is trying to tell a story of a, a young woman growing up in a patriarchy. Yeah. Um, you have the title, The Black Coat's Daughter, which a black coat is referring to some kind of clergyman. Mm-hmm. And all the male characters are in some way dressed like clergymen. Like every, every like uh, male, like James Remar's character has a black shirt with a white undershirt that, that looks very like much a looks collar. like yeah. a collar. And then you have the head of the school who this, this, um, is this a Catholic school? It's a private school. It might, I mean, those are nuns that run yeah. the house. Yeah. So, so you have an actual priest, um, and, and you have the priest who performs the exorcism. And even though the police officer is wearing a black coat. Mm-hmm. And so all the male figures in the movie, um, are resembling men of God. And so I think that kind of makes them seem like the the men in charge or the protectors and the women are, um, you know, growing up in this, in this world where the mm-hmm. men are in charge. And that's the classic association I have with like, with a preacher's daughter, right? She's going to be rebellious. Now in this one, she's rebellious by worshiping Satan. But... Right. And even Satan is like this black shadow. Yeah. So I, I, I think every, it just seems like every male character is, yeah. is, is a sort of father figure. Yeah. And in some cases she's rebelling against him. Mm-hmm. And in other cases, like with Satan, is yearning. Yeah. Yeah. For the love and affection and attention of <laughs> yeah. daddy. So it's a coming of age story with daddy issues mm-hmm. and Satan worship and yeah. exorcism. <laughs> and so I, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really beautiful looking movie. Mm-hmm. I think both of his movies are, are very beautiful. Um, you, you get a lot of um, blacks and blues in mm-hmm. this movie and it's so it's very moody it's very cold looking yes and the way that he shoots his actresses they i don't know they they have this kind of melancholy to them yeah and i think the slow-mo reveals that especially about um the character rose Mm-hmm. Um, when it has those moments where it's the slow-mo of her taking that school picture. Yes. And so you just see her face going from just like putting on that smile artificially down to like you're saying, like the melancholy because she has the secret yeah. um, of the unborn child. But uh, I was going to ask you that. So production wise, do you feel like that using slow motion, even though it is intentional, does it create an artificial tension? Is it just a gimmick? I'm thinking I don't of movies think like so because oh go ahead. I'm thinking of movies like uh, what's the Willem Dafoe movie Antichrist, Antichrist yeah. right? So that has a lot of slow motion too, too uh-huh. uh, that I feel like elevates the mood, increases the tension in various parts of that as well. Um, and I think there's that fine line between being uh, tasteful mm-hmm. and you know a gimmick. Yeah, and I would say the most gimmicky of slow motion directors is like a Zack Snyder where so many of the action sequences are in slow motion. Um, Here, I feel like the action sequences, as few as there are, 
they they aren't in slow motion. Right. And I actually I really like how he has these shots and it's just one shot where you see something creepy or disturbing and then he doesn't go back to it. Mm-hmm. Like when Rose is looking um, through the door into the furnace room mm-hmm. uh, and you see the shadow, the bald shadow, like bowing mm-hmm. uh, really quickly. That's You only get that one shot. And so afterwards you're asking yourself, like, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. Or when she uh, is in bed, um, Kat's in bed and she kind of uh, contorts her body over. Yeah. I actually had to rewatch that part. Yeah. Because because it doesn't go back to, it's just one simple. Exactly. And and with the shots with the devil too, it's just this strange out of focus black shadow with horns or bunny ears. And so you're never quite sure what you're seeing. And so I really, I really like how Oz Perkins, um, creates those scenes where you're you're doubting your own eyes mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. and i think it makes it creepier i think it makes it more effective yeah i i would say it is effective um in this one and we'll get to the one in pretty thing um in just a minute but when i was looking at reviews i i we've talked about this before i, I wonder if modern audiences might get bored <laughs> and turn away from it. Like for me, I, I liked a lot of it in, in the movie and its use. Yeah. And, and just slow storytelling, not just the slow-mo scenes, but mm-hmm. really getting into the characters. Yeah. I was describing this to a friend and um, so he looked it up and he saw that it had like a bad Metacritic rating or something. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely a, a portion of the horror movie fandom that would get bored by this movie um, because there's not enough gore. There aren't jump scares. The the end has a great payoff. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I think the key to the movie is, is the narrative pacing of it. Mm-hmm. So those different flashes, you don't know where you are in time yeah. until a certain point in the movie with mm-hmm. a lot of the shots. And I think it's done effectively. It, it adds to, so the slow motion and, the, the narrative adds to the, um, the unease. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really think that if you're able to kind of um, allow yourself to, to uh, get into this world, then you're going to, you're, you're going to feel something. Like you said at the beginning, you, you definitely leave with a strong impression, mm-hmm. a strong feeling afterwards uh one more thing with production would be uh the score i think is used effectively it's yeah. it's that again like we talked about it's, it's droning like mm-hmm. synth but not in a cheesy way and it's used selectively special effects uh there's lots of stabbing but it's really yeah. brutal sounding and yeah. like very short and he does a great job which i think is a mark of a good director when um showing by not showing mm-hmm. so like you were talking about with with the Satan or devil character. Um, then also with the stabbing, we don't get a lot of gore, but he's very selective of what he shows us. And yeah. And so Oz Perkins is the son of Anthony Perkins, this you know, Norman Bates. And 
so I, I want to, you know, distance Oz Perkins from his father because he's his own person. But I, I think that there is a strong psycho influence in both of his movies, um, both in terms of sense of style where, you know, it seems like everything is, is just kind of neat and orderly with something sinister underneath, much like Norman Bates, you know? Um, and especially in this movie, the, the stabbing scenes reminded me a lot of Psycho because, as you said, it, it was a lot of uh, suggestion as opposed to showing the gore. Yeah, and the blood spurting. And blood. Yeah. I mean, it has that mm-hmm. to some extent, but it's not over the top. Yeah, yeah. And, and just the way that the... The, the way that Kiernan Shipka was holding the knife and, and stabbing it just, it was very reminiscent of Psycho for me. And so I think, you know, even, even if it wasn't something he was doing intentionally, I think that some of the DNA that's in that movie um, kind of shines through. The, the, the DNA of Psycho is, is mm-hmm. shines through in this movie to, to a good extent. It's not a ripoff by any means, but no. I think it, you know, He's able to take some good lessons from it, yeah. so I'm I'm going to give it a point. I am too. I, I I think it's like we were talking about the different elements are well executed. Um, I don't know. We may disagree <laughs> on the other one. Yeah, but um, and, and going with this, you know, kind of the slow pacing. There was a I really liked the long take where the camera starts at the door in the police officer and in. Head of this headmaster are knocking on the door, and then they walk around the house, and you're you're inside, panning mm-hmm. across, and then you you follow them as they come inside, and you see the blood on the wall before they do, mm-hmm. but you also can't see what's on the floor, right. which is the it's dead bodies, and so just the way that the information is revealed in in that shot is very effective, and so I think. I don't. I, I think just the slowness. It it, it is satisfying. It is mm-hmm. there is a payoff. Yeah, cool. Uh, so monster quality. The film's monsters are frightening. Clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. Who are our monsters? I think, like you said, the patriarchy is a clear monster in there. Mm-hmm. The the dean or headmaster. He creeps me out. Yeah. He of like yeah sounds good. <laughs> he reminds me so much of a principal who I know like, that's what he would say. Yeah. Sounds good. And, <laughs> and and expecting that like that reply uh-huh. that Yeah. Oh. Uh which is great. Um we also, you know, have the devil and Satan worship. Um I like the approach here where I don't know, it's a little it's a little bit like is is she just crazy or is the devil actually possessing her? I think the way that it, the, the way that you have different perspectives in the movie, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think you get the sense of insanity um, because the first time you see Cat uh, and Rose talking in Rose's room, you know, Cat looks normal but then you see it from her perspective mm-hmm. and she's seeing the devil and it's like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of creates this sense of like, 
you know, can you trust the person next to you? Like what, what is the person next to you? Like really perceiving, right. If there is some kind of insanity there, like, is it, is it being hidden? Yeah. I think that reading of it, I like, I'm totally agree with that. And I think it's, it's subtle enough that it leaves room for that interpretation where he, she is just seeing everything. She obviously had some traumatic events mm-hmm. with her mom. Yeah. Or, like, or even it the fact like, like her parents aren't showing up uh-huh. to pick her up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- I think maybe, yeah, she has that break and then she's, she's missing a dad. So she gains a daddy Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Real, when he's on the phone he, or a figment when, when she's on the phone uh yeah she's calling home yeah and <laughs> uh the devil says hi baby girl yeah and so <laughs> it's it's definitely a father figure yeah um and so i i i like that about about the portrayal of the devil in this movie um again uh, it has its own unique take on devil worship Right. So, yeah. I mean, it has those classic elements of, you know, she's she going to vomit. She's going to speak in voices. She's going to call another, you know, mm-hmm. C word, <laughs> C word. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it just really works. What other monsters are there besides the devil, patriarchy, <sighs> female oppression? Well, thinking about what um, what Rose has to go through. Yeah. And. I, I suppose Rose and, and all women, like with Kat, I mean, she does have to kind of put on this sane mask, um, just like Rose puts on the fake smile, mm-hmm. um, because that's what's expected of her. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, it ties back into the patriarchy. But. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot to read into there. So I, I'm inclined to give it a point. Yeah. Um, I, I am too. And what I really like about this exorcism story, or this story as an exorcism movie, is where is the end, where you have uh, Joan, who is really older cat, mm. um, go back to the school, um, kill people, try to recreate the ritual, and it doesn't seem like it works. Mm-hmm. And so she's lonely and I think a little horrified at what yeah. she did. And daddy's not coming back. And daddy's not coming back. And so it just, it really complicates that because she's, she's not innocent, you know? Right. And I think, so she does become the monster in the end because she does, I think she does that of her own free will. Right, with, I, I do with too. Parents, uh, yeah, and, and so, and, and I think it's to get the devil back, like to mm-hmm. you know be possessed again, right? Um, because when during the exorcism, she says, "Don't go," mm-hmm. right? She doesn't want her father figure to leave her, and so yeah, I think it's really interesting. So yeah, I'm going to yeah, give it a point I like to too. take, and I'd like we talked about before we started recording, I, it took me a minute because older, older cat, mm-hmm. Joan, Joan, it's not really Joan. We find right. from the driver's license. Yeah. She killed someone killed. And, and took, assumed that identity. Yeah. 
um, it took me a minute to make that connection. Yeah. And it's interesting because in some of those scenes with Emma Roberts as Joan, she, you have a difficult time understanding the motivations of, of those characters. Mm-hmm. Like when James Remar goes into her hotel room, you're kind of unsure about what he exactly wants because he says, Oh, my wife is asleep. I'm just checking on you. She's in a towel. Like, I don't know. I was kind of worried for her safety. And then you see that he's just trying to help. Like he's genuinely helping. Right. And you don't know. And I think it goes back to the, like, is she psychotic? Is she hearing it that way? Yeah. Too. Like, are we, taking part in her delusion mm. like even further. Uh, Cause I think that happens even earlier with that character when she is talking to the headmaster and she kind of drifts off and smiles. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. she's hearing and experiencing reality differently yeah. than everybody else. So I wonder if that's another moment where we're kind of keyed into it, but yeah, but that, that tension in just in those moments with that dialogue is, is really effective. Yeah. I'm even a point. Okay. Sure. So scare factor. Clear intent to scare, and it needs to be successful in that objective from beginning to end. Um, as we, you know, go down the line with these movies and talk about scare factor, I, I think maybe we need, we can talk about amending our definition of scare factor. I mean, I, anymore, I'm inclined to also call it like um, unease and tension. Like if it's sustained, intentional, um, and successful, and I think I think this movie is. Yeah, like I said, the the technique that I I love in this movie is how it's just that single shot of, that's of something that's really disturbing and scary, and then he doesn't go back to it, and so you're just left with that feeling of unease and uh, disbelief, and I I just I think it's so interesting. You're just questioning what's real throughout the movie. Yeah, and. In in the last half of the movie, when you see Kat just getting deeper and deeper into her possession, um, it's it's really creepy. Um, the way that she becomes more pale and just the look that she gives um, is is just so unsettling. Yeah, that the final scene, uh, or that's not the final scene, but um, near the end, uh, before she gets shot, mm-hmm. I think is really great, like in the boiler room. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it's really creepy, really scary throughout. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. I'm always a sucker, though, for any, like, throat-slashing moments that yeah. always, like, Ugh, gets me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of the uh, – so the ending – to this movie reminds me of I want to say it's not audition what's the I think it's the Korean movie that we watched that's like all about revenge yeah I saw the devil I saw the devil that's what I'm thinking of like the end of that movie reminds me yeah end of this movie because you bit. have the character kind of alone walking mm-hmm. and having some kind of personal moment like yeah. epiphany or something I think that I mean it, it reminds me of that. Now, I saw the devil. I feel like is way more powerful in that moment, but it reminded me a yeah. lot of it. So yeah, all right, it's in the canon. I didn't expect that one. 
I think it. I think it deserves. To be. I think it needs it. I. Yeah. It like you said, it's a it's a modern, a modern, we can call it like the exorcism subgenre. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit different take. It's kind of refreshing. Yeah. All right. Okay. So next, um, we're talking about "I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House," uh, released in 2016. Written and directed by Oz Perkins, starring Ruth Wilson as Lily, Paula Prentice as Iris Blum, Bob Balaban as Mr. Waxcup, and Lucy Boynton as Polly. And until right this moment, I didn't realize that Lucy Boynton was like in both of these movies. Oh, no. She's Rose and Polly. She's completely unrecognizable. Yeah, just by changing her hair color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Okay, so production. Um, going back to what I was saying earlier, um, I feel like the slow motion shots in this one um, of the distorted sort of ghost image of Polly, mm-hmm. I just totally did not work for me. Oh, really? I, I was bored oh. constantly cutting back to those. Um, I, I like... Maybe the like in the using it in the beginning was effective. It was when it like started repeating it. I just would drift off. I think the movie was ten minutes too long. It's long, um, and it is it is a ghost story. I like the you know I always like now where it's like this careful um, plot line uh, in connection from ghosts to memories, like mm-hmm. tied in and sharing memories, talk about the memory of the house and how it's like almost like passing it on. Yeah. Just like, you know, just like stories get mm-hmm. passed on. I think that's really cool, but uh, it's the pacing of this movie. And I even, yeah, I even made it longer myself cause I watched it in two parts, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, separately. <clears throat> so maybe that's another reason why it feels so long, but the slow motion in this movie doesn't really work for me. Okay. Um, Maybe it's personal taste. It, well, it, it is. It does feel slow. slow. I mean, really slow. Um, that didn't, it didn't bother me so much, I guess. Um, let's see. I, I really liked how it felt like the book that was the subject of... Uh, part of the plot Mm -hmm. um it felt like they just the voiceover um it had that kind of literary quality where you know she is describing the ghosts and saying they're tending to their deaths like patchy withered gardens um just this kind of flowery Mm -hmm. prose and and so i kind of dug it 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 seemed like a throwback in in a way to an older kind of movie i think so and and reminded me of the haunting the haunting it reminds me of uh when i was talking to stephen mcclurg about it he was um you know he called it henry jamesian and i think it definitely is and i think it's trying to do that Mm -hmm. with the literary themes it fits it works um but I was so distracted by some of that and like the constant, uh, like the growing of the mold and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Initially a cool idea, but again, it just kept slowly panning to it way too often for me. So in terms of like the rubric, I think the effectiveness of what was happening there, it just didn't, it wasn't effective for me. Okay. 
Are um, there other special effects? I guess we see the ghost. Okay, so what? Smoky ghost. I really like how the ghost is out of focus. Mm-hmm. And even though, especially in, in the beginning, but just about every time you see it, it it's the camera lingers on the ghost. And so there's this very dreamlike quality because you're watching the ghost usually going backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also out of focus, which... I don't know. My automatic reaction to that was like to squint, and when you're squinting, you're 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 just kind of like trying to get a better look, which I think kind of simulates what it would be like to actually see a ghost. Mm-hmm. To once again be, like doubt what you're seeing, and um, just make you really question um, what's in front of you. So I think Oz Perkins kind of does that same technique with this movie that he did in the last movie, but just in a different way, whereas the shots are more lingering, um, but you're still kind of trying to uh, get a better look at this thing that you're mm-hmm. seeing. I, it reminded me a lot of what we talked about before with Del Toro, um, using that same, uh, I'm thinking in like Crimson Peak. Yeah. That kind of move. So I think it's a well-made movie, um, even if I get a little irritated <laughs> by the yeah. slowness. I, I, I think I want to give it a point just because, um, again, just like Blackcoat's daughter, he's very careful in his direction and mm-hmm. selection. Um, I really like the ending of this, too, um, mm-hmm. where you have um, kind of the dark house with the light that slowly reveals that these new uh, residents are living in the house. You have mm-hmm. these kids, um, and, and you kind of see, I don't know, I, I think in most haunted house movies, that's the moment where the story begins, when you have a family moving into the house. Mm-hmm. And, to, and so to see everything leading up to the haunting, um, but you know, Lily's haunting. Um, I think it's it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like the like an origin story of the yeah. ghost before the ghost haunts the yeah. poor family that move on moved into the old house where the people mm-hmm. were murdered. And then it's died. the tradition because yeah, with Polly, you know, mm-hmm. being the original ghost and um, the tradition. You get this is you know, and this is another movie where you know the characters are female you really have like one maybe two men in the movie yeah and what it's wax cup is that yeah. the lawyer guy and they i liked him because he's so annoying i just so love t- bob balaban yeah i he's, like him he's great in everything um and, and so you do i mean polly was brutally murdered by her husband um iris blum you know, seemed to be this successful writer. However, she, it it never seemed like she really was married or had much of a family or anything. And so I wonder if that was like, I don't know, some kind of commentary on, um, you know, being an intellectual woman Mm -hmm. um, or being a successful woman. Definitely tortured. And the the shots, the beginning shots of her when we first meet her Mm -hmm. and throughout where it's like her, I think it's her alone, like sitting on the bed and just her hairs everywhere. Mm -hmm. It looks, it's 
gorgeous. Looks yeah. great. And then finally, Lily, you know, it seems like um, part of why she's there is to kind of get over a relationship. Mm-hmm. She mentions Scott briefly on the phone to her friend. And so it seems like she's still kind of recovering from this, um, I don't know, engagement that was broken off. Um, and so all of these women seem to, I don't know, have been in some way damaged by men. And so it almost becomes this sisterhood of ghosts. Like there, (laughs) it just seems like it's a tradition in that house. And, you know, Mr. Wax Cup says that when she passes on, the house is going to go to another, you know, female writer. And so, um, I don't know. I think there's an interesting bond there. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, monster quality? We're kind of talking about the, the ghosts. Yeah, the I guess I guess we are. So yeah, I'm giving production a point as well. Um, so yeah, with monster quality, you do have that Del Toro, Del Toro-like ghost, which is like a living memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like how the narration is... Um, is describing the ghost because uh, I don't know. It's, it's like the ghost doesn't remember their death so much. Right. Or it just seems like when the ghost thinks about their life, it's very fuzzy and dreamlike. Yeah. The clearest parts are when the ghost, begins like haunting people it's those like haunting moments because sometimes we'll get it from the point of view at the end we get it from the point of view of lily who is basically channeling the point of view of polly like you know what i mean going in there so that's a little clearer the haunting part Mm -hmm. um also there's it's described that um nothing is holding the ghost back so they're not stuck there they're kind of in a prison of their own making Mm -hmm. like they're just like kind of this lost soul that um you know can't can't move on and do you think i'm trying to think of archetypal fears because the thing about monster quality is is this ghost frightening and to me it's not um i mean it kind of nods to that idea of what why we're afraid of ghosts we're afraid of those lingering memories or being trapped in a situation, yeah. I think, but I don't know if it's strong enough to call it frightening in this movie. Um, I think that Polly is is definitely creepy, um, partly because you never really get a good look at her as a ghost, and so she does seem otherworldly, like half in this world, half on some other plane. Um, I also think that the mold was also effectively creepy um this idea of you know it's it's growing in the house it's growing on her um just this this blackness um that's that's consuming her yeah but what do you think like what do you think that is if we're going to consider its depth like what is the significance of it you know what i mean is Mm -hmm. the what what can that symbolize i just had a hard time putting my finger on that part uh like could it be i don't know maybe it's just stuff we don't learn like the like you were saying before the tortured life of 
um, but of Iris. Yeah. Um, so the there's a phrase that's repeated throughout. Um, this is how you rot. And so I think if we if we look at it as rot, like um, like like not only are they they rotting physically, like the house is rotting. Um, Iris Plum's body and mind are are rotting. Um, I don't know. Perhaps Lily, by being so isolated and mm-hmm. and um, keeping away from like just other human. I mean, it, it seems like she's really lonely, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the TV is kind of her only friend, mm-hmm. and so and she doesn't even she's not even referred to by her own name. She's referred to as Polly. And so she does seem to be kind of losing herself. And so, um, you know, perhaps that's, mm. that's part of it too. It's like isolation. Yeah. It's rotting effects. Uh-huh. Do that. Like that. Yeah. That atrophy. So I, I don't, for, for me, it's enough to, to give it a point. Um, yeah, I think I think you swayed me. Okay, I think you swayed me. All right, <laughs> reading into it. I mean, but I guess that's uh, going back to production. It's a well-made movie, and I think the fact that we can even we, that we have to stop and think and reconsider parts of it mm-hmm. makes it effective, right? Sure. Um, so yeah, monster quality. I'll give it a point. Scare factor. I can't. Yeah, it's it's another you know movie that I don't think it gives you a. I, I don't know. It still gave me a strong sense of mood. It, it left me feeling something, um, you know, un, un, I, you know, I felt unsettled at the end. Um, I don't think it's quite as effective as the black coat's daughter. Yeah. I think as a, you know, I don't think it necessarily, it's a ghost story for sure. I don't know if I could put it up next to like any of the other movies in our canon and say, yes, like this mm-hmm. belongs um, up there. So again, I, I don't think the intent is to necessarily scare. It just wants to tell this story. There are a ghost story. There are scary moments. Um, you know, when she turns the TV off and Ollie's in the reflection, um, the moment where she kind of imagines that the mold is, has grown all over her. I think there are moments that are intended to scare, but I don't, I kind of have to agree where I don't necessarily think it's meant to scare from beginning to end or that there's much of a payoff at the end that kind of justifies the beginning being slow and Mm -hmm. and not scary. Um, yeah, I just I don't think it's there. It's it's more like a movie that has one foot in horror and one foot in drama. Yeah, I think so. Rather than trying to be a true horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think we could put it in honorable mention. Sure, I, I, I like I like so. it as a movie. I would recommend it to somebody. <clears throat> yeah, especially if if you like the haunted house story, but are bored by how every haunted house story is the same yeah and um, i think this I, is re- this is really different yeah and i think for like for our uninitiated i think this would be a good one 
like a primer to give to somebody. It's like, oh, like, you know, if you don't, if you don't like watching movies like, I don't know, Poltergeist. Yeah, or, or The Conjuring. Or The Conjuring. Um, then, you know, here's this one. It's a, just a solid story that happens to have yeah. horror elements and, mm-hmm. and, and a ghost in it, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House uh, is not in the canon. However, it is an honorable mention, and The Black Coat's Daughter is in the canon. So um, very productive episode. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about next next time. Uh, actually, I had a question. I didn't see. Is there anything upcoming or other films by Oz Perkins that you know of? Not that I know of. I was say, because I... The, what this one was produced by Netflix, like for Netflix, yes. right? Um, so I wonder if there's anything else in the works. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because he seems to be just kind of like checking off our <laughs> subgenres, right? Like yeah. Exorcism, ghost story. Uh-huh. I wonder what's next. Yeah. Yep, so next time, Horror Hound Festival. Yes, it's that time of the year yeah. where we're going to go. Live to... recording again. Yeah, yeah we're, where we're going to Horror Hound um, in Indy. And so um, we'll be talking about some of the panels we go to and our overall experience. Um, We'll also likely uh, watch a film that's being screened there. And so we really can't say what we're going to see just yet. However, um, there are two panels that we're especially interested in. And so we're going to watch those movies in preparation. Um, The first is The Lost Boys, that classic vampire tale and the second is friday the 13th part two yep and so we have to we're breaking from our i know tradition but it'll check another one off the list it so will. we have more space for jason in space <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so i mean i don't think there will be any kind of thematic connection between these two movies, <laughs> but we're going to talk Never about know. both of them and hopefully we'll have some more insight after we, uh, mm-hmm. we attend the panels. And so it should be a fun episode. Yep. So check out more episodes and we have um, some upcoming test preps by Stephen McClurg that you can check out at unoyasolstice.com. E-U-N-O-I-A-S-O-L-S-T-I-C-E. You can also follow us at, the underscore terror underscore test um, for our latest episodes. And then also leave a comment uh, either on Twitter or on uh, our website. Just tell us if you agree with our evaluation of these movies. Pencils down. The terror test is over. Mm-hmm.